Welcome to First Church Live. So glad you guys are joining us. If you're new, my name's Chad. And with this being Valentine's Day, we had a special day planned out for you guys who are going to be here on site. And we had all this cool stuff that we were going to anticipate doing, like photo booths, Valentine's Day photo booths. And we're going to have giveaways. And we're going to have candy to give to all the kids and adults as well. And all this extra stuff. And then this Arctic you know, storm came through, and so now we had to pivot and do everything different. Everybody's watching at home, and that's still awesome, because here's the thing. This week has been crazy with all the cold temperatures. I mean, my kids have been out of school all week. Probably yours have been out of school as well, and, you know, businesses were shut down, and office appointments were changed, and my kids' activities or the ball practice or dance practice, they were canceled. Everything's just been different this week, but through this wonderful gift of technology that God has given us, we are able to still worship together as a church family, and I believe that God can do something great through our time together. So I'm so excited that you guys are worshiping with us from home or wherever you are. I hope that you're warm and safe. My family, my wife and two kids, they're worshiping from our living room right right now. Hey guys, miss you guys. Wish you were here. There's just a handful of us here making this happen today, but we know God is in this, and we are praying for you as we continue on in our series, Big Dreams, based on the book of Nehemiah from the Old Testament. Well, like I said, this is Valentine's Day, and I just want to start off by asking, what is your biggest or what was your biggest Valentine's Day fail? In other words, what was your biggest Valentine's Day flop? Did you have these great plans and it just didn't happen as you thought it would, or maybe did you give some gift that maybe you'd spent a lot of money on or put a lot of thought into, and the person you were giving the gift to didn't really accept it like you thought they would, didn't like it at all? What was your biggest Valentine's Day fail? Well, I sent out an email to some of our staff members this week asking them, you know, what was your biggest Valentine's Day flop or fail? And I received no response whatsoever. Nobody wanted to admit that they had made any mistakes. So I had my wife, Allison, text all of our staff wives, wives of our ministers on staff, and ask them what their husband's biggest Valentine's Day fail was. And she received a ton of responses back. And so I thought I'd share some of them with you. Try not to mention any names. But here's one text message that Allison received back from one of our staff wise and this wife wrote when we were dating long distance this before they were married dating long distance he sent me 11 red roses they were beautiful when I called to tell him how much I loved him and thank him I said they're gorgeous but I don't know the significance of 11 why are there 11 roses thinking it was something really romantic like he was going to show up you know in person with the 12th one Turns out 1-800-Flowers just messed up. So wasn't exactly what she expected, and there wasn't really any romantic plan behind it. Just kind of happened. I had another staff member wife share with us that her husband surprised her on Valentine's morning because he couldn't be there with her, but had set up the night before some flowers and a balloon and some candy waiting for her when she woke up the next morning. And when she got up, she immediately texted him and thanked him for being thoughtful because he couldn't be there, like I said, that morning. But then when she texted him to thank him, she also put LOL. And this minister on our staff texts back and said, well, why'd you say LOL? What's so funny? 
And she was just like, did you look at the balloon? And then she texted him a picture of the balloon, and the balloon was in a different language, a foreign language that none of them spoke. Apparently, he got the balloon but didn't pay attention to what it said. Had another staff member, not going to mention his name, <coughs> Matt Thomason, not going to mention his name, but uh, last year, I believe it was last year, Steph shared that he uh, last minute ran out, got some flowers, and I guess he was a little late because the only flowers that Walmart had left were those that were like mushy and like falling apart and you know wilted and all that stuff and but knowing Matt Thompson probably Steph was happy just to get those so at least he didn't forget completely it may have been last minute but he still got them but then there was one more staff wife that texted my wife and this is what she wrote she said I wish I could help you but my husband and she said his name I'm not going to say his name my husband is a great gift giver. There was that one time when we were dating that we broke up on Valentine's Day though, and I think that counts as a Valentine's Day fail. I'm pretty sure that counts as a Valentine's Day fail. Well, all those stories just remind me that life doesn't always go as planned. We can plan things out, but things don't always happen as we expect them to. I'm not sure if you saw this, but uh, some time ago, there was a couple that got engaged, and this guy had it all planned out. Here's a picture of his proposal. It took place in the Nevada mountains, and here he had uh, Marry Me spelled on the background. It's just beautiful scenery and just the perfect picturesque moment. He gets down on one knee, and he pulls out the ring. She says yes. It is an awesome, great, incredible, sweet, romantic moment. And after she says yes, they walk away to go back to their vehicle and as they walk away here is her dad on a ridge holding up a sign saying say no <laughs> I love that that's great I think he was kidding I'm pretty sure I hope he was I had a friend in college that always said everything said in jest is a little bit of truth behind it so I don't know I think he was kidding though I hope so but those pictures that story just reminds me that life doesn't always happen as we think it should life doesn't always play out the way that we think it should because life is full of distractions. Whether it's a dad holding up a sign or something else, life is full of distractions. And we know this to be true. Anytime you want to do something good or achieve something or accomplish something in life, there's always someone or something there to distract you, to distract you away from what you want to accomplish. And that's especially true when it comes to our spiritual lives. Because you see, when God gives us when God gives us something to do, when God instructs us to do something, we have a real enemy who wants to stop us from living the life God wants us to live. Because he knows there are eternal consequences. Our enemy knows there is eternal consequences to what God is asking us to do. And that's why the Bible gives us warnings like this one in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 4 says, let your eyes look straight ahead of you. In other words, stay focused. Let your eyes look straight ahead of you. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Take the solid, the firm way. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. In other words, stay focused on what God wants you to focus on. Don't let yourself get distracted. Don't swerve to the right or the left. Don't take your eyes off what's right in front of you, what God wants you to go after don't let yourself get distracted. Let me put it this way. Don't say yes to the things that 
that distract you from what God wants you to do. Don't let, don't say yes to the things that keep you from living the life God wants you to live. And I think that's a reminder that we need all the time. And it was definitely something that Nehemiah in the Old Testament had to learn the hard way. Like I said, we're in this series right now called Big Dreams. And we're talking about how God has big dreams, big plans for all of our lives because God doesn't want us settling for brokenness as normal. We live in a broken world and our lives a lot of, a lot of times are broken because of what sin has done to us. But God says we don't have to stay that way. God is a master at taking the broken pieces of our lives and putting them back together, making something beautiful out of those broken pieces. And so the book of Nehemiah is a great illustration for us because Nehemiah was a guy who took a broken people they were spiritually and morally broken, and he led them to rebuild a broken city so that they could be a light to their broken world. And in Nehemiah's day, the city of Jerusalem, which was the capital city of God's people, it was broken down. In fact, it had been in ruins for 141 years. But Nehemiah knew that God had bigger plans for that city, and God had bigger plans for his people who were spiritually and morally broken at that time. So Nehemiah goes to the people, he rallies them, he gets them to focus on God again, and they learn that there's no brokenness that their God can't restore. And I believe the same is true for us, and that's why the book of Nehemiah is such a great illustration for us. It's such, we can learn so much from it, so many practical life lessons from it, because God wants to take your brokenness and make you whole again. And so last week we were in Nehemiah chapter 4, and we were looking at how Nehemiah had rallied the people, and they were building the wall back and the wall reached about half its height and they were having all this success but the enemy wanted to attack so Satan uses some of the local warlords in the area the guys who had been the political leaders of the area for some time to threaten Nehemiah and to criticize him and to make fun of him guys like Sanballat and Tobiah we talked about them last week and these guys they're criticizing Nehemiah from the outside but Nehemiah keeps his focus on God and he makes sure that the people that they keep their focus on God and so they're able to keep rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem rebuild the city of Jerusalem, even though they're receiving all this outside opposition and distraction. And then we move on to Nehemiah chapters 5 and 6 today. And what we find out in Nehemiah chapter 5 is Nehemiah is faced with more distraction. I mean, he faces distraction after distraction after distraction. But this time around, the distraction isn't coming from the outside. It's not coming from Sambalot and those warlords that were ruling the area. No, it's coming from within. This distraction that Nehemiah faces in chapter 5, it's coming from among his own people. And what I've discovered in life, and you've probably found this to be true as well, the greatest threat to kingdom work isn't external attacks, but internal distractions. The greatest threat to doing what God wants you to do in life, carrying out God's plans for your life, the biggest threat to kingdom work isn't external attacks, but internal distractions. See, that's why Jesus tells us in the book of Matthew, Jesus says, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And that's what's getting ready to happen in the book of Nehemiah 
if the people don't get their focus back on God. So let's read and see what happens in Nehemiah chapter 5. So the wall now is over halfway finished that they're rebuilding, surrounds the city of Jerusalem. The, the people, they're continuing to work hard. And this is what happens next after they overcome for the time being the distraction from the outside world. Nehemiah 5 verse 1 says this. Now the men and their wives, these are the people living in Jerusalem, the Jewish people. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against who? Their Jewish brothers, their fellow citizens of Jerusalem. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, survive here, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless. Let me pause right there. You ever feel that way? You ever feel, feel powerless, helpless because of the situation you're in? That's how the people, some of the people in Jerusalem are feeling right now. They feel powerless, helpless, because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. See, here's what's happening right now. There's an economic crisis taking place in the city of Jerusalem, and we understand why. Their focus is on building this wall, and this wall is very expensive to build for one thing, but also they're spending so much time building the wall, they don't have the same amount of time to work, and so they're not bringing in the income that they were normally bringing in, and so the people feel kind of strapped. And to add insult to injury, to make matters worse, we also find out from this passage that there's a famine in the land right now. Now, you might be asking, why in the world would God allow a famine in the land when the people are trying to do his work? I mean, the people are trying to rebuild the wall, so why does he allow a famine to take place? Well, here's my answer. I don't know. I'm not God, and I'm not going to try to be God. Any time in my life that I've tried to play the part of God, I always mess up big time. I find out real quick I'm not God, and I don't want to be either. He is God, and I am not. So I'm not God. So I don't know, but I do know the Bible never promises that serving God, carrying out His will, will be easy. In fact, if it was always going to be easy to do what God wants us to do, then there's no need for faith. See, if our faith is never tested... How do we know it's real? And I think sometimes God allows for bad situations to happen. Not that he causes them, but he allows them to happen in this fallen world that we live in so that we will learn to trust him. We will learn to rely on him more. So why does God allow for a famine to happen in the land or a pandemic to happen in our country right now? I don't know. But I think that during those times we can learn to trust him more. We can learn to rely on him more. And just to be transparent with you, that's happened to me over this past year or so. I mean, I'm somebody who has tried to live by faith for years. But during this pandemic, when we've had to pivot so many times and make so many tweaks, and our culture now looks radically different from what it did a year ago, I have to admit, I have learned to trust God in a way like I haven't in the past, to trust him and rely on him in a greater way 
And, I, and if you're like me, you're probably at this point just, you're just tired and sometimes you feel overwhelmed because of all the changes that have happened or are happening in our culture. But during those times when we get tired and exhausted, maybe even a little down, that's when we learn to trust in God in greater ways. And that's where I'm at right now. And I believe that as our faith is tested, we, we learn what's important. We learn whether or not it's real and we we focus again on what really matters. So I think that's what's going on here. These people, they're faithful to God's plan. They're doing what God wants them to do. But with all this going on, they have to reevaluate some things. And so they cry out to Nehemiah, these people who are suffering, who aren't able to pay their bills or feed their families. They cry out to Nehemiah and they say, listen, Nehemiah, our families are suffering and we don't believe this is what God wants. We don't believe that God has asked us to build this wall for our families to suffer. And so basically what they say is, what good is it, Nehemiah, if we rebuild this wall, but we lose our families? And guys, let me hit pause here. I don't care what opportunities you've been given. I don't care what open doors you may have. I don't even care how you might be serving God right now. God will never ask you to sacrifice the physical, emotional, or spiritual health of your family to accomplish whatever opportunity that's been put before you. God wants us taking care of our families. And what we need to understand is our first ministry, our first opportunity to serve God happens in our homes. It happens within our families that's why 1 Timothy gives us this warning. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever, worse than somebody who doesn't even believe in God. God wants us taking care of our families. He wants us protecting them, providing for them, investing in them, being there for them. And I don't care... How much money you're making, it's not worth it if you lose your family. I don't care what opportunities you've been given, they're not worth it if you lose your family. I don't care how you're serving God, honestly. I don't care if you're a Sunday school teacher or an elder of the church or if you're on staff at a church or if you're leading a small group or doing a Bible study. I don't care if you're going out and feeding the hungry and the poor. If you're neglecting your family, then you are further from God than you realize. God wants us ministering first to our families. And if we don't, the Bible says, we're working somebody who doesn't even believe in God and none of us want to be there. And that's why you may have heard me say here recently in sermons, and I know the staff has heard me say this over and over again when we have all staff meetings. If you're not winning at home, you're not winning. And I'm passionate about this right here because I've been here before. I've had to learn this the hard way because as, being, as somebody who's in full-time ministry, what I do for a living is kingdom work. And so it's really easy to justify working and neglecting your family because you can say, hey, I'm doing God's work. And I had to learn years ago that I need to make sure that I'm ministering to my family first. It's easy sometimes to say, hey, but I'm doing this for God. And God says, yeah, but I want you to minister to your family first. God will never ask us to do any work that causes us to neglect the spiritual, emotional, physical health of our families. And so the people of Jerusalem, they cry out to Nehemiah and says, we don't think God wants this. 
We don't think God wants us to build a wall but then lose our families. And they were literally going to lose their families because they had all these debts they had to pay and they couldn't pay. And they were having to sell their children into slavery. See, here's what's going on. You've got a lot of the Jewish people right now who are underprivileged and they're having to mortgage their homes and they're having to borrow money in order to in order to pay their bills and pay their taxes and all that kind of stuff. But you've got other Jews living in Jerusalem that aren't suffering, the more affluent Jews, the wealthy Jews. And they're the ones who are loaning their Jewish brothers money. But here's the thing. They're taking advantage of those who are hurting. They're charging high, high, unreasonable interest rates, interest rates that the people would never be able to pay back. And so as payment for these high interest rates that the people couldn't pay, those who were less fortunate were having to sell their children into slavery, and those who are more affluent, who are lending the money, they seem okay with this. Now, you would think, you would think that everybody would understand, hey, we're... We're taking on this building project together. This is God's work. God's calling us to do this. We need to work together and help one another out and support one another and be there for one another in any way that we possibly can, but that's not the case. Instead, you've got certain people within the city who see this as an opportunity for selfish gain. They've taken their eyes eyes off God. They're focused on themselves. And here's the thing, selfishness leads to nothing but misery. That's why the Bible warns us. If you look in James 3.16, it says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Most of the time when you see churches that fall apart and split and have issues and all that, it's typically not over a theological issue, but it's over somebody's selfish desire, selfish ambition. And that's why Jesus says, Jesus goes on to say, going to that next slide, there we go. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. See, if you truly want to live the life that God wants you to live, you've got to be willing to deny yourself. That was the case for the people in the city of Jerusalem. God wanted Jerusalem to be a light to the broken world. But in order for that to happen, it didn't just take the walls being rebuilt. It also was going to take for the people to deny themselves, to stop living selfishly and put God's plans first. Because only when we die to self will we really live the life God wants us to live. And let me add something on to that. Only when we die to self will we be able to give life away. Only when we die to self will we be able to live out God's purposes for our life. Will we we be able to have true satisfaction and contentment and fulfillment? Will we be able to be the light that this dark world needs? So don't let selfish desires distract you from the big dreams that God has for you. So what's Nehemiah's response? The people cry out and they say, hey, we're in trouble right now and there's some some conflict and discouragement taking place. So what's Nehemiah's response? Well, Nehemiah 5 verse 6 says this. Nehemiah writes, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was angry. And we understand why. We understand why Nehemiah is angry. I mean, 
There are people within the city of Jerusalem who are taking advantage of those who are less fortunate. They're focused on themselves and not on God and His will and His plan and His big dreams. We understand why Nehemiah is angry, but I want you to notice what Nehemiah does. He doesn't just immediately fire back and go out and, and scold those who are not doing what they need to be doing. Look at what Nehemiah says. He says, I pondered them, what he's heard and the people in their situation. I pondered them in my mind before he said anything. I think there's a life lesson here. For those of us who are on social media, <laughs> don't rush to judgment. Don't type something before you pray about it, before you think about it, before you ponder, uh, ponder on it. Do not rush to judgment. Make sure that you have time to think about it, pray about it. That's what Nehemiah does. And so Nehemiah does confront those who are doing wrong, but he takes some time to think about it. And then after he thinks about it, this is what he does. He goes to those who are charging these high, outrageous interest rates, and he says, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I love this. Nehemiah calls them out. He holds them accountable like he should, but he does so with grace. He does so in love. I want you to notice he calls them out, but he doesn't just call them out for the sake of scolding them. He calls them out to let them know they're supposed to be living for a higher calling, that God has a greater purpose for their lives. He doesn't, he's not just trying to make them mad or upset. He's not just scolding them for the sake of scolding them. He wants to also encourage them to do what's right. I found this letter a while back that a grade, a grade school girl wrote to her boyfriend. And this is from Rachel to Sean. And I love this. This is great. She writes, Sean, I am breaking up with you. You have not talked to me since the day you asked me out. That was three months ago. You need to get it together or you will never get married. And that would be sad. You should get married just not to me, Rachel. <laughs> I love that. I mean, isn't that great? It's honest, and it's just, uh, that's classic. But I love Rachel here because, hey, hey, we're going to break up. You need to be called out. I don't want you in wrong, but I still hope you get married. No, she doesn't hate him or anything. He's just not for her. And that's what I love about Nehemiah here. Nehemiah, he calls him out. He holds him accountable, but he does so in love. See, Nehemiah, Nehemiah doesn't call them out for the purpose of being harsh, but to motivate them to live for a greater vision. And I think that's something that we can learn as well. So, we can learn to do as well. So, what, how did the people respond? Well, the people respond by listening to what Nehemiah had to say. And I think they listened to him because of his approach. In verse 12, it says that they respond by saying, We will give it back. And we will not demand anything more from them, from those who we've lended money to. We will do as you say. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. You see, sometimes we just need to be reminded of what's most important. Sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes we chase after things that don't matter to God, and we just need to be reminded about what really matters, to make sure that we are saying yes to what matters to God and saying no to what doesn't matter to Him, that we don't let distractions knock us off mission. 
That's why I love Nehemiah, because Nehemiah is faced with distraction after distraction after distraction, and he doesn't allow any of those distractions to throw him off mission, to keep him from doing what God wants him to do. And let me give you one more example of this. See, we've been in Nehemiah chapter 5, but when you jump over to Nehemiah chapter 6, we meet a familiar person, somebody we've Excuse me, somebody we've met before, we've talked about him before. I just mentioned him a second ago, Sanballat the Horonite. You know, we talked about him last week. This was the guy who had made threats against Nehemiah. This was the guy who had made fun of Nehemiah and mocked him. So guess who's back? Back again. Sanballat's back. Tell a friend. Guess who's back? Guess who? Okay, I'll stop. I'm done. But Sanballat's back. And so this time he comes back to talk to Nehemiah and he has a different approach. See, before he just made fun of Nehemiah, he mocked him. What are you feeble Jews doing? Remember that? You know, he just made fun of him. This time, he has a little more respect for Nehemiah. You know why? Because during this period of time, the king of Persia has now made Nehemiah governor of the whole region of Judea. See, before he was just a guy on a mission, and the king had given him permission to go and do this, papers to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But now the king has made him governor of the whole area, the whole region. So now he's an official. And so now Sambalot, he changes his tone just a little bit. Instead of making fun of Nehemiah and criticizing him and all that kind of stuff, this is what Nehemiah does. I mean, this is what Sambalot does. He sends Nehemiah a message. He says, Sambalot and Geshem, another one of these local warlords who had been ruling the area, they're not anymore now that Nehemiah is the governor, but they sent me, Nehemiah writes, this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. In other words, hey, let's do lunch. Now that you're in charge, now that the king's made you governor, now that you're our boss, basically, let's do lunch. And lesser men, lesser leaders probably would have let that you know, stroke their ego a little bit. They would have said, hey, you know, these guys used to be in charge of this area, and now they want to meet with me. And so they probably would have taken this as a compliment and said, hey, let's go do this. Let's go meet with these guys, and, and we'll see if we can work together, and I can use their resources and all that kind of stuff. That's not Nehemiah's approach, though. Nehemiah, he's focused on God. He doesn't care what Sanballat or Geshem or Tobiah or any of these other dudes think of him. He doesn't care. He only cares what God thinks of him. And God has given him a task. God has given him a mission. So he's going to carry it out. And it's a good thing that he stays focused because what Nehemiah later discovers is this, but they were scheming to harm me. See, Ono, that village that they wanted to, where they wanted to meet Nehemiah, it was a village that was controlled by these warlords. This was going to be an ambush. So Nehemiah figures all this out and listen to the reason he gives for not going and meeting with them. I love this. It says, and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I love that. I'm doing a great work, a work that God's given to me. I cannot come down from it. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? See, what Nehemiah basically does here is he says no to Ono. He says, I'm not going to go to Ono. That's a distraction. That's not part of God's plan. That's just going to stall the work, and we find out later it was gonna, they were going to try to kill God's work. So Nehemiah, he says no to Ono. And I wonder what's your Ono right now? What's some distraction right now that you need to say no to? 
He says no to Ono, and this is how he does it. We looked at this phrase just a second ago. He says, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. What if that was our mindset every morning when we woke up? What if that was our prayer every day when we woke up? What if we said to ourselves every single morning, I am doing a great work, a great work for God, a work that God wants me to carry out, and I cannot stop, I cannot come down. I know that there's like five people in the room right now, but I know there's a ton of people watching at home. And so if you would, just say this line out loud with me if you don't care. And so I want to... I want everybody to say it in your living room, office, wherever you are. Say it out loud with me. Here we go. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. What if that was our mindset every single day? If we said no to what doesn't matter to God and yes to what does. And so let me ask you today, what are you saying yes to that is distracting you from what God wants in your life. What are you saying yes to that's distracting you from what God wants for your life? Because in 2021, you don't need to waste time worrying about what the gossips think of you. God has called you to a greater work. In 2021, you don't have time to get home And go to the couch and just stay on your phone all evening and check social media. You've got a family there who needs you. They need you to be there for them. And God has called you to a greater work. In 2021, you don't have time to go to the bar and sit there and try to forget your past. God is greater than your past. And He has a greater work for you. In 2021, parents, don't give up on your kids. Husbands and wives, don't give up on your spouse. God has called you to something greater. In 2021, don't believe the lies that Satan is whispering in your ear. And maybe right now you're facing some type of anxiety or stress or depression or paranoia or whatever. Those things don't have to be the norm. God will provide help for you when you seek it, when you seek Him. Just walk through the doors that He is opening. He doesn't want you to settle for those things as normal. He is calling you to a greater work. In 2021, you don't have to let your past continue to hold you back. Because here's the thing, we've all messed up. I'll be the first to admit it. I have done things in my past. I wish I had a time machine and I could go back and erase those things but that's not possible and if you expect for your preacher to be perfect I'm not and I'm so glad this is a church that shows people all people grace because we all have a past we've all messed up and we're all going to continue to mess up as well but here's the thing God tells us don't let our past mistakes continue to define us because he has a greater work for us in 2021 Don't settle for brokenness as normal. Seek God's healing, God's restoration, because he has greater work for us to do. Maybe what you need to do today is say no to oh no. That's what Nehemiah did. 
He said yes to God and no to, oh no, no to those things that were going to distract him from what God wanted him to do. And because he said yes to God and no to distractions, God does a great work in his life. Now here's the thing. What God was asking him to do and Nehemiah resisting those distractions, it wasn't easy. It was tough. And I'm not saying that saying no to distractions is going to be easy. It's going to be tough. And sometimes those distractions that surround us, they are strong and they are powerful. But look at what Nehemiah does as he's being distracted. He prays to God, and it's a short and it's a simple prayer, but it's a powerful one. He just says, oh, God, strengthen my hands. In other words, God, you've called me to a great work, and I want this work to be carried out, and I know it can be carried out if you will give me the strength to do it. Nehemiah knew he was a weak, sinful human being, but with God's strength, with God's help, he could do what God was asking him to do. And the same is true for you. And in my life, what I've discovered, what I have found out, is that when we pray this prayer and we mean it, God always answers that prayer. And he did for Nehemiah. Nehemiah prayed that simple prayer, Oh God, strengthen my hands. And look at what happens. We see in Nehemiah chapter 6, it says, So the wall was completed on the 25th day of whatever that is. And, and, and it was done in only 52 days. Now that's incredible. That's kind of a, I don't know, that's a Chad Broadus way of summarizing something because a lot of us would want more detail like my wife Allison when I come home and I and she'll ask me about my day I was like oh it was good or uh, if I went I had lunch with somebody oh how was your lunch it was great and she'll be like well, what'd you talk about where'd you go eat at you know how much was it or whatever and I, I it was good it was good good lunch you know whatever I give very little detail and Nehemiah is kind of like me so the wall was completed in 52 days that's all he really tells us <laughs> But he tells us enough detail. Look at what he goes on to say. He says, when all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. He doesn't tell us all the extra details that we might want to know, but he tells us what we need to know, and it's this. The wall was done, and it got done in only 52 days, which was a miraculous thing because, the help, because of the help of God. God was with them and you may be looking at your life right now and seeing it pieces and seeing how broken things are and be wondering I don't think anything beautiful can ever be made of my situation don't doubt the power of our God when God strengthens your hands he can take the broken pieces of our lives and turn them into something beautiful this past year, we got my kids a new swing set. Uh, we needed to because the old one was kind of falling apart. And so Alice and I wanted to give our kids a nice swing set to play on. And so we purchased one. This is what it looks like now if you want to take a look at it. It's, it's nice. It's nothing real elaborate, but it's still nice. And my kids love it. This was them playing on it uh, just a little while ago, a few weeks ago, maybe a week or so ago. I can't remember. Before all the snow came, they were out there on it. And uh, you can see Addie's in her princess dress as she's on there. And they're just having a blast. But here's the thing. This swing set didn't come put together. It didn't come looking like this. It came in three boxes, actually. And those big boxes were full of pieces. And so I was trying to find somebody to pay, you know, to put this together. And Matt Thomason on staff here, who I just made fun of a second ago, he's really a great guy. He heard that I was looking, Alice and I were looking to try to find somebody to pay to put it together. He said, don't do that. He said, we can put it together. And so he came over one day and brought his friend Eric, who goes to our church with him. And, um, and I was there to assist them. Basically, I said, I 
don't want to get in your guys' way because I'm not handy at all. So you guys just tell me whatever you want me to do. And if you don't have anything for me to do, I will be moral support and I'll buy a lunch, okay? So I was out there with them and I did very little. They did most of the work. But I remember when we first opened up those three boxes, we got all the pieces out and we spread them out across my backyard. And it took up like half my backyard. I mean, all these pieces, they were just everywhere. And the instruction said that it could take like, I don't I can't remember, like maybe like 15 hours or something to put this together total. And I, I remember thinking, 15 hours? Try like 15 weeks if I was trying to put this together. There's no way. And I remember Matt and Eric, they looked at this thing and they said, we can knock this thing out four or five hours. So I'm like, there's no way. Not going to happen. They did. They knocked it out. But you know why? Because they knew what they were doing. And now our kid's swing set is great. If I had tried to put it together, it it would have taken me weeks and weeks on my own. And even when I put it together, I would not have wanted my kids on it because it would not have been safe. But when you get someone who knows what they're doing to put it together, it turns out great. And I think that's what we need to remember when it comes to our spiritual lives. On our own, we can't put our lives back together. On our lives, if we try to put our lives together, we're going to fail. But God, he's a master at taking broken things, broken pieces putting them together, and making something beautiful. And here's the thing about our God. There is no brokenness beyond His power to restore. He can take anything and turn it into something beautiful. So next week, we're going to celebrate the wall being built and Jerusalem being in a different situation than it had ever been in before. And we're going to celebrate the commitment that the people make to their God. And so next week is going to be a big Sunday. You're not going to want to miss it because we're going to have a time where we can recommit ourselves to doing what God wants us to do as his people. I can't wait for next Sunday. But in the meantime, what's your oh no? Be thinking about your life. What is distracting you from doing what God wants you to do? Because God wants to do a great work in your life. Don't get distracted from it. Say no to Ono and let him build you into what he knows you can be. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for today and for this time we had to open up your word and study it. And I just pray, Father, that we will be a people that allow you to do a great work in our lives. That we won't get distracted, that we won't turn to the right or to the left, we won't swerve away from what you want us to be focused on, but that we will be a people who are living out your calling on our lives. We will be a people who are doing the great work that you want us to do. Thank you so much for forgiving us, for giving us second and third and fourth and upteen chances. Father, thank you for showing us grace, for showing us a path to healing, a path to wholeness, which is found in your son, Jesus Christ. And it's through his name that I pray. Amen.